Section 82 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 2 The Monster. To believe in the octopus, one must have seen it. Compared with it, the hydra of old are laughable. At certain moments, one is tempted to think that the intangible forms which float through our vision encounter in the realm of the possible certain magnetic centers to which their lineaments cling, and from these obscure fixations of the living dream beings spring forth. The unknown has the marvelous at its disposal, and it makes use of it to compose the monster. Orpheus, Homer, and Hesiod were only able to make the chimera. God made the octopus. When God wills it, he excels in the execrable. The wherefore of this will affrights the religious thinker. All ideals being admitted, if terror be an object, the octopus is a masterpiece. The whale has enormous size, the octopus is small. The hippopotamus has a cuirass, the octopus is naked. The jacaroca hisses, the octopus is dumb. The rhinoceros has a horn, the octopus has no horn. The scorpion has a sting, the octopus has no sting. The buthus has claws, the octopus has no claws. The ape has a prehensile tail, the octopus has no tail. The shark has sharp fins, the octopus has no fins. The Vespertilio vampire has wings armed with barbs, the octopus has no barbs. The hedgehog has quills, the octopus has no quills. The swordfish has a sword, the octopus has no sword. The torpedo fish has an electric shock, the octopus has none. The toad has a virus, the octopus has no virus. The viper has a venom, the octopus has no venom. The lion has claws, the octopus has no claws. The hawk has a beak, the octopus has no beak. The crocodile has jaws, the octopus has no teeth. The octopus has no muscular organization, no menacing cry, no breastplate, no horn, no dart, no pincers, no prehensile or bruising tail, no cutting pectoral fins, no nailed wings, no quills, no sword, no electric charge, no virus, no venom, no claws, no beak, no teeth. Of all creatures, the octopus is the most formidably armed. What then is the octopus? It is the cupping glass. In open sea reefs, where the water displays and hides all its splendors, in the hollows of unvisited rocks, in the unknown caves where vegetations, crustaceans, and shellfish abound, beneath the deep portals of the ocean, the swimmer who hazards himself there, led on by the beauty of the place, runs the risk of an encounter. If you have this encounter, be not curious, but fly. One enters there dazzled, one emerges from thence terrified. This is the nature of the encounter always possible among rocks in the open sea. A grayish form undulates in the water. It is as thick as a man's arm and about half an ell long. It is a rag. 
Its form resembles a closed umbrella without a handle. This rag gradually advances towards you, suddenly it opens, eight radii spread out abruptly around a face which has two eyes. These radii are alive. There is something of the flame in their undulation. It is a sort of wheel. Unfolded, it is four or five feet in diameter, frightful expansion. This flings itself upon you. The hydra harpoons its victim. This creature applies itself to its prey, covers it, and knots its long bands about it. Underneath it is yellowish, on top earth-colored. Nothing can represent this inexplicable hue of dust. One would pronounce it a creature made of ashes living in the water. In form it is spider-like and like a chameleon in its coloring. When irritated it becomes violet in hue. Its most terrible quality is its softness. Its folds strangle. Its contact paralyzes. It has an aspect of scurvy and gangrene. It is disease embodied in monstrosity. It is not to be torn away. It adheres closely to its prey. How? By a vacuum. Its eight antennae, large at the root, gradually taper off and end in needles. Underneath each one of them are arranged two rows of decreasing pustules, the largest near the head, the small ones at the tip. Each row consists of twenty-five. There are fifty pustules to each antenna, and the whole creature has four hundred of them. These pustules are cupping glasses. These cupping glasses are cylindrical, horny, livid cartilages. On the large species they gradually diminish from the diameter of a five-franc piece to the size of a lentil. These fragments of tubes are thrust out from the animal and retire into it. They can be inserted into the prey for more than an inch. This sucking apparatus has all the delicacy of a keyboard. It rises, then retreats. It obeys the slightest wish of the animal. The most exquisite sensibilities cannot equal the contractability of these suckers, always proportioned to the internal movements of the creature and to the external circumstances. This dragon is like a sensitive plant. This is the monster which mariners call the pulp, which science calls cephalopod, and which legend calls the kraken. English sailors call it the devil fish. They also call it the bloodsucker. In the Channel Islands it is called the pieuvre. It is very rare in Guernsey, very small in Jersey, very large and quite frequent in Sark. A print from Sonini's edition of Buffon represents an octopus crushing a frigate. Denis Montfort thinks that the octopus of the high latitudes is really strong enough to sink a ship. Bory St. Vincent denies this, but admits that in our latitudes it does attack man. Go to Sark, and they will show you, near Brecou, the hollow in the rock where, a few years ago, an octopus seized and drowned a lobster fisher. Perrin and Lamarque are mistaken when they doubt whether the octopus can swim since it has no fins. He who writes these lines has seen with his own eyes at Sark, in the cave called the Shops, an octopus swimming and chasing a bather. 
When killed and measured, it was found to be four English feet in spread, and four hundred suckers could be counted. The dying monster thrust them out convulsively. According to Denis Montfort, one of these observers whose strong gift of intuition causes them to descend or to ascend, even to Magianism, the octopus has almost the passions of a man. The octopus hates. In fact, in the absolute, to be hideous is to hate. The misshapen struggles under a necessity of elimination, and this consequently renders it hostile. The octopus, when swimming, remains, so to speak, in its sheath. It swims with all its folds held close. Let the reader picture to himself a sewed-up sleeve with a closed fist inside of it. This fist, which is the head, pushes through the water, and advances with a vague undulating movement. Its two eyes, though large, are not very distinct, being the color of the water. The octopus on the chase, or lying in wait, hides. It contracts, it condenses itself, it reduces itself to the simplest possible expression. It confounds itself with a shadow. It looks like a ripple of the waves. It resembles everything except something living. The octopus is a hypocrite. When one pays no heed to it, suddenly it opens. A glutinous mass possessed of a will, what more frightful! Glue filled with hatred. It is in the most beautiful azure of the limpid water that this hideous, voracious star of the sea rises. It gives no warning of its approach, which renders it more terrible. Almost always, when one sees it, one is already caught. At night, however, and in breeding season, it is phosphorescent. This terror has its passions. It awaits the nuptial hour. It adorns itself. It lights up. It illuminates itself, and from the summit of a rock one can see it beneath, in the shadowy depths, spread out in a pallid irradiation, a spectre sun. It has no bones, it has no blood, it has no flesh, it is flabby. There is nothing in it, it is a skin. One can turn its eight tentacles wrong side out like the fingers of a glove. It has a single orifice in the center of its radiation. Is this one hole a vent? Is it the mouth? It is both. The same aperture fulfills both functions. The entrance is the exit. The whole creature is cold. The carnarius of the Mediterranean is repulsive. An odious contact has this animated gelatine which envelops the swimmer into which the hands sink where the nails scratch, which one rends without killing, and tears off without pulling away, a sort of flowing and tenacious being which slips between one's fingers. But no horror equals the sudden appearance of the octopus, Medusa served by eight serpents. No grasp equals the embrace of the cephalopod. It is the pneumatic machine attacking you, you have to deal with a vacuum furnished with paws. Neither scratches nor bites, an indescribable scarification. A bite is formidable, but less so than a suction. A claw is nothing beside the cupping glass. The claw means the beast entering into your flesh. 
the cupping-glass means yourself entering into the beast. Your muscles swell, your fibers writhe, your skin cracks under the foul weight, your blood spurts forth and mingles frightfully with the lymph of the mollusk. The creature superimposes itself upon you by a thousand mouths. The hydra incorporates itself with the man. The man amalgamates himself with the hydra. You form but one. This dream is upon you. The tiger can only devour you. The octopus, oh horror, breathes you in. It draws you to it and into it, and bound, ensnared, powerless, you feel yourself slowly emptied into that frightful pond which is the monster itself. Beyond the terrible, being devoured alive is the inexpressible, being drunk alive. Science first rejects these strange animals according to her habit of excessive prudence even in the presence of facts. Then she decides to study them. She dissects them, she classifies them, she catalogues them, she labels them, she procures specimens of them, she exhibits them under glass in museums, they enter into her nomenclature. She describes them as mollusks, invertebrates, radiates. She fixes their relationships a little beyond squids, a little this side of cuttlefish. She finds for these saltwater hydras an analogous one in freshwater, the Argyronectus. She divides them into great, medium, and small species. She admits the small species more easily than the great ones, which is, moreover, in all branches, the tendency of science, which likes rather to be microscopic than telescopic. She looks to their construction and calls them cephalopods. She counts their antennae and calls them octopods. That done, she leaves them. Where science abandons them, philosophy takes them up. Philosophy, in her turn, studies these beings. She goes less far and farther than science. She does not dissect them, she meditates upon them. Where the scalpel has worked, she plunges in the hypothesis. She seeks the final cause, profound perplexity of the thinker. These creatures almost inspire uneasiness in regard to the Creator. They are hideous surprises. They are the joy-disturbers of contemplation. In desperation man verifies their existence. They are the deliberate forms of evil. What is one to do in the presence of these blasphemies of creation against itself? Towards whom shall one turn for the solution? The possible is a terrible matrix. Mystery becomes concrete in monsters. Fragments of shadow spring from that mass, imminence, are rent, detached, roll, float, are condensed, borrow from the circumambient blackness, undergo unknown polarizations, take on life, compose for themselves some indescribable form out of darkness, and some soul out of miasm, and depart specters among living things. It is something like shadows converted into monsters. To what purpose? What end does this serve? Once more, the eternal question. 
these animals are phantoms as well as monsters they are proved and yet improbable they are because they exist if they were not reason would be justified they are the amphibia of death their improbability complicates their existence they border on the human frontier and people the region of chimeras you deny the vampire the octopus appears their swarm is a certainty which disconcerts our assurance optimism which is the truth nevertheless almost loses countenance before them they are the visible extremes of black circles they mark the transition from one reality to another they seem to belong to that beginning of terrible beings of which the dreamer catches a confused vision through the loophole of night these continuations of monsters first into the invisible then into the possible have been suspected perceived perhaps by severe ecstasy and by the intent eye of magi and philosophers hence the conjecture of a hell the demon is the tiger of the invisible the wild beast that preys on souls has been described to the human race by two seers one named john the other dante if in fact the circles of shadows continue indefinitely if after one ring there follows another if this augmentation persists in unlimited progression if this chain exists which we for our part are determined to doubt it is certain that the octopus at one end proves satan at the other it is certain that an evil thing at one end proves evil at the other every evil beast like every perverse intelligence is a sphinx a terrible sphinx propounding the terrible enigma the enigma of evil it is this perfection of evil which has caused great minds sometimes to incline toward belief in a dual god towards the formidable double-headed deity of the manichaeans a piece of chinese silk stolen during the last war from the palace of the emperor of china represents the shark devouring the crocodile which is devouring the serpent which is devouring the eagle which is devouring the swallow which is devouring the caterpillar all nature which we have before our eyes is devouring and devoured the prey prey on each other but learned men who are also philosophers and consequently optimists find or think they find an explanation among others bonnet of geneva that mysterious exact mind who was opposed to buffon as geoffroy saint hilaire was later on to cuvier was struck with this idea of the final purpose the explanation is this universal death entails universal internment those who devour are those who bury all beings enter into each other to decay is to nourish frightful cleaning of the globe man a carnivorous animal is also a barrier our life is made up of death such is the appalling law we are 
sepulchers. In our twilight world this fatality of order produces monsters. You say, to what purpose? To this. Is this the explanation? Is this the reply to the question? But then, why not another order? The question returns. Let us live. Agreed. But let us endeavor to have death a progress to us. Let us aspire to less gloomy worlds. Let us follow conscience, which leads us thither. For let us never forget, the best is only found by the better. End of chapter 2 The Monster